Pigmatic with a Crispies track Coming at you from the FakePigsTin.com And staff come feel that rap Met a rare when you drop it through Our fantasy show is here for you Pigmatic podcast Talking daily values at last Fantasy football and redraft It's your one-stop shop in the hip-hop Talking players that just might go pop If you want to stay on top of your team Listen in and dominate your league Bring it in your host of the show Head to Twitter and hit that follow At RealABC and me Fantasy Gumshoe come and see Pigmatic podcast here at last Head back and himself a blast Automatic, pragmatic, charismatic, ecstatic, like Davis Matic. Pigmatic Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Pigmatic Podcast, brought to you by FakePigskin.com. I'm one of your hosts this evening, Fantasy Gumshoe. With me, as always, is my main buddy, old pal, Asher Curzon, at Real ABC. Asher, how you doing this evening, my man? I am doing well, as always. How about you? Doing great. Can't complain. We're about halfway through the week, and we're uh, getting another step closer to football here. And we also have football across the pond this weekend, and we're all going to be blessed with the opportunity to wake up Saturday morning, brew a fresh cup of coffee, and turn football on by 9.30 Eastern time. You can't argue with that, and you can't also argue with another fine guest that we brought on the Pigmatic Podcast today. With us is a new guest, his first appearance with us you all know him and love him on Twitter as Frittleocity. He is FF Riddle, Matt Riddle, the Riddler. Matt, how you doing tonight? Good. How about you guys? Oh, I'm so happy. I can't even feel my arms. Couldn't be better. So um, before we uh, get a little bit deeper into the podcast here tonight, Matt, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where they can find you, all the great sites you work for as well? Yeah, uh... The fun thing about this season um, is that that has become increasingly difficult. <laughs> it used to be easy to say. Uh, yeah, so I'm at FF Riddle on Twitter, like you said. Uh, you know, I just enjoy uh, the fantasy sports, and uh, my lifestyle kind of affords me um, a little bit of free time to to dabble in it, and so I choose to do some writing because it's it's fun. So you can find me on Sportable.is. Um, I write the do, uh, I'm a scout for 4 for 4. I do the Patriots uh, work for them, and then I do uh, um, some work for Project Roto every week, and I pretend I write for Rotoviz, um, though it's increasingly tough in the middle of all that to, to to add them into the writing mix. But So I'm kind of everywhere. Just uh, If you follow me on Twitter, the links get tweeted out every week. Yeah, it's really good work. I like a lot of the snap data and target information you had uh, right about at Rotoviz, and I believe you did uh, something similar over at Project Roto similarly as well. So uh, really good stuff coming out from from the Riddler here. Um, Matt also dabbles a little bit, and when I say a little bit, I mean a lot in the whole MFL 10. So, uh, Matt, how's how's it going for you? Uh, how many leagues did you do this year, and uh, have you checked in lately to see how your teams are doing? Yeah, um, so the I love drafting, and so basically what happened is a few years ago, I uh, studied the standard 50 to 100 hours that every, you know, degenerate addict does, and I drafted my home league, and I drafted maybe two other leagues, and I was done, and it was so unfulfilling. Like, I just spent 100 hours of research to draft, like, three leagues, you know, and then the year after that, I stumbled across the MFL 10s, and it was genius. I thought I could draft all I want. 
So um, kind of my thought last year and this year is to draft as many of these things as you can. And once your draft, once the draft is over, you're done with it. And then it's just uh, you're just kind of waiting out to see uh, the total points are optimized after 16 weeks, and if you won or lost. So last year I had a nice 50% ROI, uh, and I didn't even check last week until I think I might have checked about once a month just for fun. But I didn't I didn't put any stock in anything I saw until really the last six weeks or so. This year um, I'm doing a weekly update piece for Sportable, uh, Sportable, so I do check them, but I, I'm not putting a ton of stock in what I see. It is just nice to see that I'm in contention in some of them, so that that's good. When you dra- So I drafted 70 leagues, which is insane. It, it really became a grind at the end, to be honest. Um, the funny thing about drafting this many leagues is I, I have... Um, so I just checked this last week, and most first-place teams have, like, between, I don't know, maybe for Sportable this week, if you have less than 1,000 points, you're done. You're probably, that team is just done. And I have, I think, 13 teams with less than 1,000 points. I have two teams with less than 900 points. <laughs> and so it's horrible. But over half my teams are within 100, 150 at least of first or second place, uh, and I range between six and nine teams in first place every week. Another, I think I have like a dozen teams in second place right now. So it's just kind of funny the way it, it mixes out that you end up having a lot of bad teams and and if you're lucky, a few good teams. The nice thing about the project is I played 70. I only have to win seven to, to break even, and it's pretty realistic that I would at least win five or six and not lose much, and, and hopefully we can bump that up to nine or ten and uh, make a little money. So that's kind of where I'm at with that whole thing. Good stuff, good stuff. I can only imagine what you're doing 70 of those. It it becomes really difficult not to find yourselves getting the same person in the 11th round, and then you find yourself getting the same person in the 15th round, and then you kind of look back and go, oh, crap, I just realized I have 55% shares in player X. So then you got to kind of adjust course. I, I only did 10 this year, so I'm looking forward to increasing that. I just kind of wanted to get my feet wet myself a little bit this year, so really looking forward to uh, definitely not 70, but maybe I'll jump it up to 20 or so and see if I can pull down four. <laughs> that would probably be a realistic. 70's a lot. 70's, 70's a chore. Uh, for, I think you're doing the right approach. I suggest you do 10 to 20 if you're just kind of getting your feet wet. Uh, I think 30 or 40 is a nice number. I did 40 last year, and it was rarely a chore. It was just enjoyable. I had a good time. It was, you know, you just kind of have two or three going all all off season. One finishes, you fire up another. It wasn't a big deal, and well, it's it's pretty easy to do 30 or 40. Good stuff. And when you did a lot of these, uh, I know we've got an agenda, but this is good stuff. Have did you find yourself kind of meshing with a particular draft strategy, or did you find yourself just kind of experimenting because you, you had 70 and you figure, why not? This is what these are here for. Go ahead and experiment, and then you can kind of leverage these to kind of uh, strategically uh, get ready for some of your season-long leagues as well. Uh, yeah. How do I answer that? So probably the first five or ten are just you kind of groping your way through a draft. After about 10 or 15 drafts, you start to say, hey, okay, I'm beginning to have a feel for how this is going. There's probably another five or 10 drafts after that where you're almost intentionally experimenting. That's one of the fun things about MFL 10s is even if you're not trying to play 40 and profit, you can play three and you can just sit there and say, 
what happens if I take four straight wide receivers? Now, my general strategy is to take what I call the best player available the first five rounds or so. Um, and so maybe that's four straight wide receivers. Maybe that's four straight running backs. That varies every time. But you can, and even knowing I'm going to draft 70, sometimes early on I might force myself into a couple suboptimal picks just to see what it's like to take four straight wide receivers. What happens after that? Um, so probably by the time you're 20 drafts in, you kind of have a good feel for how it goes. And, um, you know, by the time you're 40 in, there's almost nothing new that you can see. Uh, there's almost nothing that can happen that is going to shock you in, what do I do now? I mean, sometimes you have to think for a minute about a decision, but, you know, I mean, I, it's sometimes you punt tight end, punt running back, punt quarterback, or you're, you know, I, I have some drafts where my first quarterback was taken in the 16th round or 15th or whatever, and I have others where I had two by round six, and sometimes it's five straight receivers, and, and you just kind of, every draft is different. Um, last year, I settled into a routine where my goal was to take two running backs in the first four rounds. And this year, it took me quite a while. I really experimented with uh, the popular zero running back this year, uh, which is probably more aptly named wide receiver heavy or something. Uh, I really experimented with that. I ended up the last probably 30 drafts or so, my goal, which I didn't always do, but my goal was to get two running backs in the first five rounds and and not to have more than one quarterback or tight end in the first six or seven, if I had either, just to have one and no more. So that was kind of what I settled into as feeling somewhere within that guideline is optimal, but every draft is truly different. And that's the fun part of going back is, you know, last year I had a four straight running back team that won. And I also had a four-straight receiver team that won. So it's just it all kind of depends on your mid- and late-round hits, too. Yeah, I guess um, <clears throat> since I haven't played a lot of MFL 10s, did, and I, most of my experience is Dynasty and Redraft. Um, but in those, well, mostly in Redraft, you, find, you can find yourself taking one player consistently. You know, as, as, you know, there's always a guy you're high on. Do you find that? at all being a trend with the MFL 10s? Is there one, one you know, that you found on most of your teams just because of the where they fell? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question that I could talk about for an hour. <laughs> Basically, I try to... I think of... Uh, we talk about ADP as a, a one set data. We say so-and-so's ADP is uh, 5.6 you know, in the fifth round, the sixth pick, but really it's better represented by a bell curve. His ADP may be in the mid-fifth, but sometimes he's going in the fourth or the third even. Sometimes he's going in the sixth or the seventh, and it averages out to the middle of the fifth. So in an ideal world, uh, the goal in MFL 10s is to draft the players at the bottom of their, of their range. That, you know, uh, that's kind of the goal. The problem is, first of all, uh, prices change. So sometimes there might be a player I say, I'm going to draft less of. I'm tired of I own too much of this player. I don't want much, too much of him. But if his, if his draft stock goes down a couple rounds, I might feel compelled to continue drafting him. Uh, so plus you might, like I started the season, offseason really high on Zach Stacy. So I own a ton of him, but that was because back in February I was drafting him in the early second round. Now, by March, I figured out that was a mistake, but I already owned a lot of states. So that's kind of the fun thing, literally, of drafting from February on. Um, in terms of the players, 
I own the most of. It's it's been a, a rough couple weeks for for that list. Uh, Marvin Jones, Rod Streeter, Stephen Ridley uh, highlight that list. There are other players. I have a lot of Nick Foles and Cam Newton. I actually have a lot of Aaron Rodgers, believe it or not. Um, uh, it's not surprising to have a lot of a good player. I'm just not one who typically drafts quarterbacks early, so people who know me would know that they wouldn't expect me to have a lot of Aaron Rodgers, but I do. Uh, who else do I have a lot of? Uh, I have a, really a lot of all the Saints running backs. I have a lot of Kiri. I have a lot of Pierre Thomas. Um, I have a lot of Mark Ingram as well. So it's been uh, kind of a mixed bag of my most most owned list. Um, the people who are not on IR are doing pretty good. News team, assemble! It seems like uh, while Matt has a, a mixed bag of many players on his MFL rosters, many of you may know that we may have a, a mixed bag of nuts here on the podcast this evening. For those of you that don't know, myself and Matt are avid and diehard Chicago Bears fans. And this other guy that happens to be sitting alongside us here, he's a Miami Dolphins fan in Anybody that watched football last week knows what the Miami Dolphins did to the Bears last week, and it trickled into the Bears locker room. So I single-handedly blame and loathe our buddy Asher for last week's performance. So thank you, and may God not have mercy on your soul. Just kidding, Asher. But I do (laughs) want to know, Matt, what do you make of the Bears for the remainder of this season. We've seen some ups, we've seen some downs, and we've seen it go all the way around the football field from interceptions to touchdowns to shoulder shrugs, and this being Jay Cutler. Can can the Bears turn the ship around, Matt, or is this something that we're just kind of we're, we're looking forward to some doom and gloom here? If this were a baseball team, they would be the quintessential 500 team. And um, to me, the quintessential 500 baseball team is not generally a mediocre team. It's it's usually a team who won and the next day is fairly flat. And they kind of combine together and they steal a couple wins and they lose a couple they should have. But somewhere between the hot and cold streaks, they end up right around 500. Now, an 8-8 eight eight team in football we tend to think of as being mediocre, but to me that's – I'm kind of classifying the Bears as a 500 team in baseball terms this year. I just don't – you thought that week one to Buffalo was a shoe-in and we lost. Then you gave them no chance on the road in San Francisco, and that was an amazing, amazing game. Uh, I was nervous with Miami. They played – the Packers pretty good at home, but I was hoping it was at home after their bye and on the road in, with less preparation, but they played us just as tough, and I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a long season, a frustrating season. Our best hope, if you're talking playoffs, is to squeak in at 9-7 and seven and get hot at the end, but I think in, for the rest of the season, it's just going to be a lot of this so close, so far, good game, bad game, good quarter, bad quarter type of output. Very good. 
some of that outpit that we've been dealing with in Chicago, uh, they wish they had in Washington, and they might have an opportunity to get that with RG3 back at practice. Asher, are we going to see a little bit more of RG3 game time as early as this week, or we're probably looking at something along the lines of Week 9? And if we do see him in Week 9, is RG3 going to be the same old RG3 that we saw at the beginning of this year, or is he going to kind of circle back to that rookie uh, sensation almost that we saw, or is he just going to have a ridiculous time picking up Jay Gruden's offense? And you're going to wish you were still looking at Colt McCoy. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't think you're going to wish you were still looking at Colt McCoy um, <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to get back to the to the elite level he was his rookie year, especially fantasy wise. Um, and I don't know that coming back from that injury. I mean, he, he's he's a guy that takes hits, and and I'll be the first to say that I thought Kirk Cousins would succeed, and obviously fl- fell flat on his face. Um, so I think for RG three and for fantasy owners that have RG three, that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think he's ever going to get back to. To what we saw his rookie year. I mean, it, it, he they want him to be a pocket passer. That's not his game. Um, he, when he gets out, you know, he breaks the pocket, breaks container, he runs. He, he doesn't know how to get out of bounds. He doesn't know how to slide properly. He takes hits. You know, th- this ankle dislocation, it's not going to be the last injury he gets. Um, and I, I'd, I'd be surprised if we see him this week. Uh, I think the earliest would be next week. Very good. Well, one player we know we're going to be able to get to see next week was just traded to the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 and he's a little bit of an enigma. We do not know what we're going to see from one Percy Harvin. Is he going to be used like a traditional wide receiver? Is Rex Ryan going to try to manufacture touches for him, or is he still going to have to spend the first week learning the offense, and really we're only going to see some uh, advantageous impact for one Eric Decker? So, Matt, what's your take on Percy Harvin, the New York Jets, and are they going to be able to climb from the bottom of the ladder here? I think I can speak for everyone when I say that we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with Harvin on the Jets. And anyone who tells you otherwise is guessing, and and I just guessing is not my thing. Um, I'd rather just say I don't know, and we'll see. Uh, I'm a little frustrated, and I'm only playing two seasonal money leagues this year, and in one of them I had Harvard and Decker, and it hit me about a day after the trade that I now own two Jets receivers, which I'm not happy about. I like Decker fine, but I. I don't need two receivers from the Jets on my team. So, but I don't, he's too talented to drop. So I'm just kind of stuck with him on my bench for a couple weeks. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen there. Um, Harvin is very talented, unlike uh, the people everyone likes to compare him to, Cordell Patterson. He's actually a very good receiver in of itself. He he can do more than than that, but he can be a receiver. Uh, so I, I just don't know. You know, he has a tough past. Uh, but if we look at a guy like Brandon Marshall who had a tough past, the Bears have made it work with Marshall. Um, they kind of bend over backwards to make it w- work with Marshall, but it, it's still working for now, and so he's actually been very productive. I don't know if the Jets can do that with Harvin or not. I'm not sure that's the right locker room or front office for him. So I think it's just going to be a long season for Harvin owners or fans. 
Very good. Asher, Mark cool. Sessler just said – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Asher. Oh, no, I just, I just want to chime in. I guess my perspective is that I, I don't – from a fantasy standpoint, I don't see how it can get any worse than it was for the start of the season for Percy Harvin. I mean, you're talking about a guy that got out-touched by Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin, you know, and they're getting ready to bring Paul Richardson off the bench. Um, so I, even if the Jets are, are attempting to manufacture some type of touches for him, I see it as a, as a plus for him. Regardless of if their offense is any good, they're playing. They're going to always be playing from behind for the most part. Um, I just feel like his fantasy value is only going to go up on the Jets, no matter what kind of a crapshoot they are as, a, as an NFL team. Yeah, it's almost like you don't know which Geno Smith you're going to get. What we do know is the game splits per some of the game split apps over at rotoviz.com. We do know that Geno Smith really is a night and day difference of a quarterback slinging the rock when Eric Decker is on the field. So you would you would imagine that Percy Harvin would help that situation. But kind of like Matt said, I think we're just going to kind of be gripped to our seats and we can't wait to find out. I think many more people are going to be watching the New York Jets this Sunday than the Jets are actually accustomed to. Um, Asher, I'll take this one back your way. Uh, Mark Sessler of NFL.com, the Around the League podcast, he put a nice nice post out there about some of the biggest rookie disappointments here. And some of the names he listed off were Eric Ebron, Johnny Manziel, Drew Archer, and James White. And just missing the list was Odell Beckham Jr. It's almost a little bit unfair to have Odell Beckham just missing the list. Is it really their fault when they sustain injury? But, Asher, what say you about any of these names, and uh, are any of them going to help us in the short term or long term, and are you buying any of these guys? Um, I'm not not buying really any of those guys, honestly, even in Dynasty. The only one that that mildly intrigues me, I like Odell Beckham, but he didn't make that list. So um, I like Eric Ebron, but not probably for what he's going to do this year, and that's more of a Dynasty. My my value for him would be more Dynasty. I I don't know if any of those guys are necessarily disappointments. Um, you know, Johnny Menzel, we kind of, once he lost the starting job in training camp, we, you know, and he looked really bad in the preseason, we didn't, I didn't really expect much. Eric Brown was kind of known that he, would, he wouldn't necessarily have an extremely large role. And James White, uh, same, kind of the same thing, was behind Ridley and Vereen. Um, and Dre Archer was third-round pick, but, you know, you can't really trust Todd Haley. Other than, you know, with that bell cow back, he tried to get Rainey involved. You know, it was kind of a mess um, a couple years ago. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that any of those guys are disappointments, but maybe that's me thinking from a dynasty perspective as opposed to redraft or, or any other type of format. Asher is certainly a dynasty nut by heart. Matt, what's your take on any of these guys in the short term or the long term? I know you certainly dabble in some dynasty as well. I guess I, I'm confused at the nature of this. I did not hear this podcast or article you're speaking of. Not a single one of these players were expected to do anything at all at any point this year. <laughs> so when none of them have done anything, I'm confused how any of them can be a disappointment. And Unless they're talking about their performances in practice or maybe he thought, you know, that Drew Archer would square away a nice special teams role as a third back on the team and get one or two touches here. I mean, I just don't – you could say once Menzel lost the starting gig, but even from draft day, I was of the mind that Hoyer was always going to start this year. So 
for none of these guys at any point that I have any expectations of this year. So they've all done about exactly what I thought they would this year. Um, in Dynasty, I, you know, I'm not that great at Dynasty, to be honest. So most of those names are, are names I'll defer to other people on uh, f- for future value. Very good. Yeah, I know Eric Ebron was drafted early. I think some may have expected him to hit the scene early, but we all know the growing pains of a tight end in the NFL, regardless of how good they are. You know, the the average is, the odds are, you're going to sit and learn the game. Dree Archer, how many targets is he really going to get? I'm interested. He is a late, deep dynasty stash for me. And James White as well, because I, I know it's things have very cooled on James White from Dynasty. But Stephen Ridley, Shane Vereen, we do not know what's going to happen with them in 2015. And these are those wild card players that you never know, and you just kind of keep on the back of your 20- to 25-man roster in the event one of them gets the opportunity to pop. Odell Beckham Jr., what can we say, guys? I think he, he really he looked the part. He fit the bill. And it's going to be interesting to see who between Ruben Randall comes out as the 1A or the 1B and if they kind of carve their own niche within that uh, environment. But let's switch gears a little bit over to the redraft and let's rendezvous through the waiver wire for this week. Matt, this week's top three running backs were Denard Robinson, Bryce Brown, and Trey Mason on waiver wires everywhere. What is your take for any of these guys, and do any of the three have potential staying power that can help you actually get to a championship? My first question is why are we leaving uh, Cadet and Gray off this list? That is a great question. I actually had Cadet Gray and Charles Sims as additional folks that I figured would come up in dialogue, but please carry on. Well, I'm just not sure. I would probably rather have Cadet or Gray over uh, Robinson. Um, I'm not a real football guy. I'm I'm a fake football guy. I, I believe that real football is important as it relates to fake football, but I rely on other smart people to help me with that. So one of the things I read about Denard Robinson this week on Roto World uh, by, man, I'd rather not say the name than get it, say it wrong, uh, but was that a lot of the runs Robinson was making were runs expected of NFL running backs, that his game might have been more reflective of an abysmal Cleveland performance than a, a great Robinson performance. That said, it is exciting to see – any running back on the Jaguars do something. Todman didn't even do enough in practice to earn anything in games. Storm was horrible. Gerhardt was horrible. It's kind of a, a dumpster fire of a, of a rushing game. They're not even trying to rush it. 32nd last I checked in rushing attempts, probably because they know how bad they are at it. I don't know. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm blanking here. You said the list. I struggle with Mason personally. I would probably add Bryce Brown out of that out of that mix. Uh, Fred Jackson's out for a month. Uh, C.J. Spiller is is done. If he comes back, it's going to be at the tail end of fantasy. And uh, now there is Anthony Dixon there, but I, I like Bryce Brown. 
to uh, to take over there. I think he's ultimately more talented, if less disciplined. Um, so I, I prefer Bryce Brown out of that. Trey Mason, you know, I, I spent half my day talking about Trey Mason with people on Twitter. Um, he's not – I know this is going to upset people, and I apologize. My personal view, he's not better than Zach Stacy. So that doesn't mean he can't take Zach Stacy's role or that, and he can't perform and keep Stacy on the bench. But if we're talking about someone being clearly the top waiver wire guy, the takeover is complete, he's going to roll with this and never look back, I expect him to be better. And he's not. He has a better burst. Their college resumes are almost identical if we can adjust by, for school bias. He's not more athletic. He broke out at a, actually a very young age, which is great, but Stacy broke out younger. So he's healthier and a little quicker to the seam. And I think those two qualities are good. So I do think this is a thing Cunningham is going to get passing down work. If I if I have the stat right, I might not. I apologize. But I believe that so far this season, uh, Mason has been asked to block twice, and he's allowed one sack. And that's why he's only been asked to block twice. I'm told he was a good blocker in college, but that has not translated to the NFL yet. Cunningham's going to get the passing down work. Uh, I think he's going to get the passing down work regardless when uh, Stacy, as Stacy heals up, he's been hel- um, had some calf and, and uh, I don't know, he's had a couple issues. As he gets healthier, I think he's going to get rotated back in. And I think these carries could have and flow every week, and it could be a frustration. If Mason is able to run with it and keep Stacy on the bench, I think it's more about what Mason does. I don't think that Stacy lost the job, per se. Just my own opinion, having spent the last 48 hours of my life researching all this intensively. So, um Anyways, that's just my take. That's why I'm not ready to call Mason the top waiver wire ad this week, and I'd rather go somewhere else. I'd rather add probably Cadet or Gray, especially in PPR Cadet, um, over Robinson. I just don't know what Robinson's going to do going forward. I mean, I added him to a couple teams where I'm desperate or in deep leagues, but I just it's nothing I'm confident about there. Good stuff. Asher, what's your take on any of these guys? Um, I agree. I you know, I, I, I'm friends with a guy who went to high school with Denard Robinson, so I kind of root for the guy. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know what to expect. Jacksonville has such a bad offensive line. So, so again, kind of what you said about Cleveland having a terrible performance. You know, it is kind of a little hopeful that any Jags running back can do anything. Um, but I think out of those, I probably in redraft, I'd probably be adding Bryce Brown if I had the number one, um, you know, waiver claim status just because we at least know he's going to get a good chunk of carries. I, I'm not a huge Trey Mason guy. I don't like him. I think he's a huge liability in protection. He can't catch the ball, so he's not going to be on the field in passing downs. Um, and honestly, I, I'm not buying in on Mason at all. Um, I'd, I'd rather add Robinson and Brown and for sure Cadet uh, before Mason. I, I will say I've been, I mean, for the last month I've been one of the voices against Trey Mason. Um, so I, I do want to shade that a little since you're talking dynasty. Thing. I think Mason is capable of being an NFL running back. Um, my my thoughts against him are not are nothing to do with that. I think he's capable of being an NFL running back. I just don't know that he's better than either of the two backs. And, of course, you mentioned the passing liability. So um, my thought with my, my Mason thoughts are, are typically shaded by – trying to bring back the Mason affection back to what I feel is the middle where it should be, 
and it's also on draft day was his price. I thought his price was too much, but he is capable of, of being a, a running back, I believe, if given the chance. It, sh- it certainly seems like everybody really falls suit to the what have you done for me lately and really kind of follows into the recency bias. And, of course, all of these names are on the list because everybody, for the most part, popped with the exception of Bryce Brown last week, but he is thought to get that opportunity. But will he get that opportunity? I think the 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 shinier toy to spend is is the the less pretty one, and that's going to be Anthony Dixon. If you are looking in that backfield, but you know that it's not going to be a decent schedule coming up here for Buffalo. They are going to have the Jets, then they're going to have a bye, then they're going to face KC who really seems to be an improved defense. And at that point, they're going to get Miami, also an improved defense, and then the Jets, and we know how they are. So you really, if you're spending big money, and by the time you hear this podcast, you may have already spent this big money, but that might not be the the choice for you. With Denard Robinson, I agree with your take, Matt, and that was that really more about Jacksonville or was that less about Cleveland and the injured players that they were facing there as well? So I think the clear winner here is somebody like Traveris Cadet. Pierre Thomas is going to be out for the next two to three weeks now. Cadet has shown that he has the ability to take on that type of role, and he has been getting some catches out of the backfield now. So we should be able to see that role increase for him. And then I think the sneaky, sneaky play here that I I, I started to see some names kind of pop up and talk about this today on Twitter is Charlie Sims. Charles Sims is somebody that has been shelved all year with an injury. We know what Doug Martin can't do anymore, and we know that Bobby Rainey has been serviceable uh, when asked to perform, and we know that Tampa Bay is going to be playing from behind often, which should potentially give Charles Sims a, a nice stash here for redrafters. Uh, soon. Any any last thoughts on any of these guys or any other running back we didn't talk about here? All right, we'll go ahead and move on here. Uh, Matt, a couple of players that I've been targeting so far, Cam Newton and Calvin Benjamin, it really looks like the schedule is going to open up for them, and it seems like Cam was ready to take off and, and open up and spread his wings himself, and then we kind of saw him curl up in a ball here, so which Cam Newton are we going to see going forward, and are you going out and trying to target somebody like Calvin Benjamin? Uh, uh, I think the best wisdom with Cam is to say it's going to be a little bit of both. You know, we had that really nice game, was it two weeks ago now, uh, where his ankle looked better and he was running around a lot. Um, and then I hope to see more of the running against Green Bay. Green Bay's secondary has been better than anyone thinks, uh, unless you're really on pro football focus or, or analyzing some of these deeper stats, you probably haven't realized it's, a, it's an underrated defense. Um, their defensive line has gotten better um, uh, pressure the last few weeks, and the secondary has been actually pretty solid all year. Uh, so it was really just a question of whether or not he was going to run. And after two weeks ago, we hoped he would run as much last week. Maybe I did expect him to struggle a little bit in the pocket, which – he actually did okay, um, but it was not the, the 30 or 40 point blow up we've seen from Cam before, saw two weeks ago. I, I think moving forward, it's going to be kind of a mixed bag. Uh, I think you're looking at a nice kind of high end QB2, low end QB1 floor, and I do think he showed us that there are still some remnants of that upside. 
so you, if there's a frustrated owner, you might be willing to get him for cheap. And I love Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, it's not a stretch to say he'll finish the season as a wide receiver one, uh, perhaps the mid-range high-end wide receiver two. Uh, maybe a little inconsistent here or there, but that seems to be the pace he's on. So if you can get him from someone who somehow hasn't realized that yet, I would do that. Yeah. yeah. Asher, what are your thoughts on Calvin and Cam going forward? Oh uh, yeah, I like them both. I think I think more along the lines of what we saw two weeks ago is is hope is what we can expect as that schedule opens up and and hopefully they perform a little bit better. Asher, what are you doing with Doug Baldwin now that Percy Harvin is out of town? He certainly stepped up to the plate with a big performance last week, and he's going to have the opportunity to face off uh, against a ridiculously terrible secondary this week in Carolina. Is he somebody that you're willing to jump up to the wide receiver two range for the remainder of this year, or do you think this is probably a little bit more realistic in the wide receiver three range with a little bit of upside? Um, I like Doug Baldwin a lot. I like him as a player. Uh, Fantasy-wise, I, I would lean more towards wide receiver three with wide receiver two upside. Just And, and this is just my own opinion, but I don't think that Seattle's going, and I know I flip-flopped on this from the beginning of the season, but I really thought they would open up the offense, and they haven't. Get back to winning, they're going to have to run the ball more, and I don't see them throwing as much as they probably did last week against uh, St. Louis. Very good. On the other side of the fence, potentially, Matt, uh, we have some guys that don't have as good a favorable schedule. One of them is a, a rookie that's really come onto the scene. He's been very consistent, and that's Allen Robinson. He's certainly been a focal point of the offense, but it has been a less-than-stellar offense, I'll, I'll say. Um, he's been targeted heavily. He finally got into the end zone, uh, but it looks like he's going to have a little bit more of a difficult schedule coming up here. He's going to be facing off according to the buy low machine on Rotoviz, Miami, Cincinnati, Dallas, and then his buy, and then Indy, number one against the pass, and the Giants, who you don't necessarily know which Giants team is going to show up, but it really seems like you've got a, a death knell of the next six weeks here. So coming off a touchdown week, are you are you still sticking it out with A-Rob here, or are you, you looking to cut bait? I think the A-Rob question depends on uh, if you're in a PPR league or not. He seems to be... You know, putting up a lot of these four and four, uh, four or five catch, forty, fifty yard games as a floor. So if you're in PPR, that's that's a reasonable little day, and I would hang on to him for sure. Standard, you might get a little bit nervous at those days. So to me, it's more about the league you're in than the upcoming schedule. I like A. Rob. He's, I think Cecil Shorts is the number one there. He's always been. Health is just a question. Um, you mentioned recency bias. I always think it's funny how players, at least on, on Twitter, were so willing to talk about guys sucking or being horrible when they're injured, and we don't factor that in. You know, we just say, this guy's horrible. We don't say, hey, he's playing hurt. Uh, and I think he played hurt all of last year, and people remember that guy, but he played hurt all of last year. When healthy, he's, he's actually almost a wide receiver one in fantasy, in PPR in particular. So nonetheless, I like A-Rob. Uh, in PPR leagues, that's a guy I'd hang on to yet. Very good, very good. Asher, you haven't been high on Rashad Jennings. You were much more of a uh, Andre Williams guy, uh, at least for the value he presented. Andre Williams uh, hasn't necessarily shown up 
very well right now. I, I know a lot of that has been game script oriented. They really weren't able to get together uh, against the Eagles as of late. Now the Giants coming out of a, a bye here. They're going to be facing Indy, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, until they finally get Jacksonville uh, thereafter. So what are you doing if you're Rashad Jennings' owner? Do you just kind of have to stick it out and hope the volume plays out? Or are you waiting for a first sign of, of health and then you're looking to cut bait there? Uh, me personally, I would I would cut bait. I know that's probably not what a lot of people want to hear. Um, I'm I'm just not a Jennings believer. I think he was great at the start of the season, but he did exactly what we all said he would do. He, he gets hurt. Um, you know, you don't want to say that one guy is injury prone, but Rashad Jennings seems to be unable to shake those nagging injuries. Um, so if it's not a recurrence of whatever he had this time, and I, I foresee him getting hurt again with that heavy of workload. Matt, what's your take on Rashad Jennings? I trust you ended up with a lot of Rashad Jennings shares in your MFL 10s this year. Probably not as, as much as I'd like. There's a couple guys that you like and never seem to get, and he was kind of one of those for me. Uh, I like Rashad Jennings. I, I um, Yeah, I would hang on to him. It's been, a, I think, like many years, I think this is just going to be the trend moving forward with running backs, but it's been a tough year for running backs. And if you have... Uh, a talented bell cow, you hang on to him. Um, I mean, if you could, I don't even know who I'd be willing to move him for. I mean, if he has a healthy game or two, could you could you get a Denver back if there's a clear Denver lead back, or you know, no one's going to give up Andre Ellington or Le'Veon Bell for him. So I just, I, it's not so much for me about hanging on or trading. I, I just can't imagine someone giving you in a trade what he's worth on your team. I, I think you're better off hanging on there. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to for me as well. It's going to come down to market value. And if you're only going to get maybe a flex play at most because of that recency bias, then you're better off. Even though the matchups aren't going to be good, working through that volume, depending on the PPR production, and hoping he still kind of comes out of this as an RB2 before it starts to open up a bit from an overall schedule perspective. It looks like Brandon Oliver had some things open up for him as of late, but he's potentially looking at Ryan Matthews coming back on the field. We don't know what that backfield is going to shake out like. And then, of course, we know he's going to run into some playoff matchups here against both Denver and San Francisco in weeks 15 and 16. So, Asher, are you looking at a little bit more of a miracle or a mirage with Brandon Oliver for the remainder of the year? Or somewhere in between? Um, I think probably somewhere in between. I'll temper my expectations. I, I really like what I've seen from him. Uh, I like the production. You know, I like that he can withstand such a heavy load and, you know, not get nicked up, um, which has been Ryan Matthews' MO um, with last season being the outlier uh, for his career. Um, so I like what Oliver brings to the table. I'm not sure that any of us are clear on how that backfield is going to shake out once Matthews comes back healthy. Um, so to answer your question, I, I think I'm just more more interested in seeing how it how that backfield develops. Matt, what's your take on Oliver going forward? Well, um, I, I, I'm chuckling. I'm not a big injury-prone guy. So I, Asher keeps talking about being able to predict injuries. And I just kind of keep chuckling at that. Uh, I think one of the things San Diego has done 
to help keep Matthews healthy. Um, Matthews is actually decently effective in short yardage work, and he's actually a great passing down back. Uh, but I think they decided those situations were not – that those were a lot of the situations he was getting dinged up in. So they really try to take Matthews away from the goal line and short yardage work, and they they try to take him out of the passing game entirely. Uh, I believe when we saw Danny Wood, that was a perfect fit for him and Danny Woodhead last year. But even if you look two years ago, they started to take Matthews out of some of those roles. So my hunch, and I wait-and-see approach is always good, but my hunch would be that Ryan Matthews returns to what we now know as the Ryan Matthews role, kind of as a game closer and, and primarily rusher and maybe a little bit of short yardage here and there. Um, and then I look Brandon Oliver to kind of take over the, the Danny Woodhead, um, old Danny Woodhead role. I think uh, as Donald Brown gets healthy, he'll get worked in, but kind of worked in as his old role. He is injured. I don't think he stinks all of a sudden. Maybe last year was kind of a career year with his, what, five and a half yards of carry or something. But um, he just doesn't. It's whatever's going on with Donald Brown. It's it's not enough to take Brandon Oliver off the field the way he's been playing. So my hunch would be that we'll see kind of the same backfield we started the season with, but with just a couple different identities plugged in. Well, one different identity plugged in for Danny Woodhead with Brandon Oliver. That would be my my guess. The wait and see is always a good approach, but I would hold on to that. I ended up with Brandon Oliver on a few dynasty leagues as a stash. Dropped him, picked him up, dropped him, picked him up. About 50% of those leagues, I still have him on the team. The other half, he was uh, dropped for Donald Brown. And I was actually patting myself on the back because Donald Brown was not getting drafted this redraft season. And I was maybe taking him in, say, the 14th or 15th as just a what-the-heck flyer. We know that it's your point Matt we can't predict injuries you know but there certainly is something with the trend line with Ryan Matthews so I did go ahead and take a shot on Donald Brown and then of course I started him in, in spots where I expected much much more only to be let down wishing I had Brandon Oliver at the time so yeah I think this is a little bit more of a wait and see approach I do think that Brandon Oliver is here to stay at the very least your point Matt he's going to have some sort of definitive role whether that's in the Danny Woodhead role or he's able to kind of pick up some of the slack at least maybe 40 percent of the workload so I think he is certainly someone to hang on to let's uh, go I, ahead I, oh, I'm sorry quick Brandon, I have a comment if I could um sure I talked to uh Matthew Friedman uh, a little bit yesterday and today, and that's a super smart, uh, collegiate prospect guy. Um, he does a lot of data and metric work for Rotoviz and kind of thinking about stuff in a way a lot of people aren't yet. It's uh, it was a really nice conversation with him. He's working on a a, a metric called work work excuse me work horse score, which is kind of like a market share. If you're familiar with a market share concept, he takes out blowout games, which aren't the running back's fault. And he takes out non-running back rushes, primarily the quarterback rushing. And he, he's trying to determine, basically similar to market share for receivers, when running backs are being handed the ball, what's happening uh, in these games. And so uh, for receivers, if you get a 40 or 50 market share, that's amazing. Uh, well, a 50 would be am- amazing anyways. For running backs, 50 would be fairly bad. Uh, 70 or 80 might be pretty reasonable. Uh, Zach Stacy and Trey Mason both have about a 68%, for example. There's a number of 90 guys who score a 90 on this workhorse score. And, and Matt told me that pretty much all of these guys, even though not all of them make great prospects 
every one of them usually makes a little bit of noise in the NFL at some point. Bobby Rainey was the 90 workhorse score guy. He told me that you know he may not be an NFL starter, but he makes a little noise when he gets a chance. And interestingly, I guess Brandon Oliver is another one of these 90 workhorse score guys. So uh, I'm not calling him an NFL starter per se, but I guess I'm just saying that's a collegiate metric that might transfer over to at least making continued noise in the NFL. Very good stuff. Thank you for that. Matt Friedman, if you're out there, you just got a plug and you don't even know it. So Matt Riddle will go ahead and drop you a 20 spot here sometime in the near future, or you should drop him that 20 spot. Uh, Let's go ahead and head over to talk a little bit of daily here, fellas. Roger, back to you. Uh, Novels, 1,200. Answer. Daily double. (laughs) You have a $1,600 lead over Tom. I'll bet it all. Oh, all right. It looks like DraftKings has gone back to setting their salaries a little bit closer to the first Millie Maker where we had some loose salaries where FanDuel were looking at quite the opposite here where the algorithm really seems to be buttoning up the, the salary. So you're probably going to have to work a little bit harder on FanDuel than DraftKings. But uh, let's go ahead and head over to DraftKings first here, and I'll, I'll start uh, with you, Matt. Uh, do you have any um, top quarterback plays that you're willing to take a gamble on or you're willing to pay up for in either your cash or GPP this week? Yeah, I'm, I usually do most of my uh, daily research starting on Thursday through the weekend. Um, just glancing at it now, I mean, if I'm paying top dollar for any player, typically I want them to have a plus matchup. Uh, Rodgers is a guy who in particular this season has, I haven't done a deep study yet, but he has appeared at a glance to struggle against better defenses and feast against worse defenses, which isn't shocking. Uh, New Orleans being one of the worst defenses in this case. So I wouldn't mind paying for him. And uh, I know Carolina, sometimes people still think of last year, but that's a relatively poor defense right now. So I kind of like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers this year if you're going to pay up, this uh, week if you're going to pay up, excuse me. Yeah, I think Russell William, uh, Russell Williams, I don't know who he is, but we'll, we'll find out. Russell Wilson is another guy. He, he, there's some disparity between both DraftKings and FanDuel. In, in FanDuel, he's at 8,900 with the top quarterback, Peyton Manning, coming in at 10-2. Whereas on, on DraftKings here, uh, there's only going to be a $600 difference with Russell Wilson versus the top. So I, I think I'm definitely going to be apt and targeting him all over FanDuel. Um, and then DraftKings, you, you can't argue with the matchup. So I think he's a safe, about as safe as they come. And I think Aaron Rodgers, to your point, would be the other one. Uh, in the mid-range, a couple guys uh, I'm looking at here. Uh, Carson Palmer coming in against Philadelphia. He's only at 6,500. And then Joe Flacco is is quietly starting to have himself a, a great season. Cincinnati is is just they can't seem to get it together. Maybe they're going to come with a little bit more force this week, but I don't see it happening. I think Flacco, believe it or not, is is another player that you can get for cheap and is still probably a safe cash play as well. What, what Any other guys that you're looking at, Matt, in the mid-range or even lower? Uh, Nick Foles. I know Nick Foles was underpriced. I know he's not been as good as last year, and coming off his bye is going to be a little forgotten about. Arizona's a plus matchup overall, and, and so I think that might be a guy I target this weekend. 
Good stuff. I know we talked about the aforementioned uh, Brandon Oliver at the running back position. He's coming in at DraftKings at only uh, $5,400 this week, but it looks like the play of the week here against Tampa Bay, Jarek McKinnon on DraftKings is only $4,900. Is there any way that you could fade him on any of your leagues regardless of GPP or cash this week? Uh, yeah, that wasn't a question I was expecting. No, he's not a fade. He's by no means a fade at that price uh, in that matchup. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to play him or target him, um, but he's not a fade. He's definitely in the conversation. Uh, if you're going that route, I don't. This is going to sound silly this year. I kind of like Darren McFadden at 4,700 um, against Cleveland, which is pretty poor against the run in general, and they got blown up last week by. Denard Robinson of all people, so um, <laughs> I kind of like I kind of like that. I'm trying to pull up. Uh, let me see here, real quick. There we go. Boom. Okay, Tampa Bay. You said. All right. I, I look at the four for four has a nice metric adjusted fantasy points against it. It's a fantasy points against it. It, it attempts to remove schedule bias. So they have Tampa Bay as uh, oh geez, without counting the maybe the ninth best running back matchup or so. So that's, that's a plus matchup. That's a nice matchup in price for McKinnon. Um, I also like McFadden. And if we're saving money, uh, I like Travis Cadet at the minimum. If you're trying to save money, I don't know that you need to save money this week, but if you wanted to, I think that's a nice uh, option. Yeah, it really seems like a great week to go out there and just pay for a running back. DeMarco Murray is DeMarco Murray. Even though he's going up against Washington this week, you still know at only 8,600, he's going to give you the pop that you're looking for, Twenty-six, almost 27 fantasy points a game on DraftKings. Matt Forte is probably looking at a historic season now on pace for 119 total targets he and he could be easily be looking at beating the Ladanian Tomlinson Larry Center's uh, receptions for halfbacks and fullbacks in, in the history of the NFL since the merger uh, so that's definitely a safe play guys what are you doing with Ben Tate this week he's coming in as a cheap play he's only $4,600 he's only going to be facing Oakland but we saw what happened in the Jacksonville game and losing the, the starting center I mean is it is it more impactful than everyone was actually anticipating so is this somebody that's you know a great value or probably appropriately priced for me this is where we start the GPP versus cash conversation I I don't trust him is all he could be great that's a great price it's a great matchup Maybe last week was a fluke. Maybe they needed some extra practice. Maybe they teach their new center some better blocking. I mean, there's any number of scenarios. Maybe Jacksonville really stepped it up last week in defense, which is possible. There's any number of stories or narratives that we don't know about that could have last week or this week. Do I trust him to play him in cash games at that price? Still no. You just cannot afford a four-point dud in a cash game at any price. Um, but he might make a very nice uh, tourney play. So to me, guys like that, kind of, especially on the cheap end, are the fun conversation of G plays. You know, Roddy White was one of those guys last week. He's 4,100, but what has he done this season? But he's 4,100. You might not have rolled him out in cash games, but he really rewarded tourney players who took it. So that's kind of how I view Ben Tate this week. Julio Jones is going up against the fourth-ranked Detroit defense. 
And for the first time, Randall Cobb is priced above Julio Jones, going against New Orleans, 31st ranked at 7,500. Everybody was talking about regression to the mean, and surely this touchdown rate wasn't sustainable, right? Well, Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers and the highly prolific Green Bay Packers offense begs to differ here. So what are you doing in terms of uh, receivers that you're willing to uh, pay out cash for on either site this week, Matt? Yeah, here's a fun little stat. I was researching before this. I'm going to have a piece coming out on Project Roto. Um, I'm using some Football Outsiders data. Thank you, Football Outsiders. And uh, looking at the best number one receiver matchups. And uh, check check that. look for that piece later this week. But here's one nugget I'll share. Uh, Jordy Nelson has the highest percentage of targets based off team targets out of anyone in the whole league. He's getting uh, his market share of targets, you might say, is the highest out of anyone. He's going up against a team. This it does not factor in defensive injuries or schedule bias or anything, but just raw data. Um, New Orleans is allowing more yards to a team's number one receiver than any other team in the league right now. They're also, uh, they're also allowing the highest percentage of total passing yards to number one receivers than any team in the league. And so the those two things butting up against each other, that might be a really nice uh, DFS target this weekend. Very good stuff. This is something that you, I don't think anybody would have come out this year and thought Jordy Nelson should have potentially been the, the first or second wide receiver off the board, let alone pick overall. When you really think about it, Matt Forte, DeMarco Murray, and Jordy Nelson were in the conversation this year. So it's really, really awesome just to see what Green Bay unfortunately we're both Bears fans so it's kind of bittersweet if we own any of these Packers players because yes we are loyal to our fantasy teams but we are also loyal to our Bears so basically we're bipolar about 17 weeks out of the year um let's head yeah, over I will say oh I'm sorry Bears comment I will say about the Packers I like to say tell me what you think of this Jerry uh, the only thing not to like about the Packers is where they live. That's some, kind of something I, I've taken to saying. I think it's a very likable team. You know, the the only not likable team was Jermichael Finley, and he's not there anymore. It's a very likable team located anywhere else. I, I'd probably adopt them as my second favorite team, to be honest. And instead, I hate their guts. So <laughs> it's it's always kind of a con degree. I hate you, Ron Burgundy, but damn, I respect you. Tight end this week, Julius Thomas is the first one on DraftKings at 6,200. Rob Gronkowski gets to go against the Bears, who just gave Charles Clay his uh, rejuvenation from last week in Week 7. Then it's followed by Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham, who is questionable. If you have a computer out there somewhere or some sort of algorithm that just picks your players for you. I can see you playing Jimmy Graham, unless you're just trying to be that ever-so-contrarian GPP guy picking Jimmy Graham. I just personally, I don't I don't see how you can play Jimmy Graham this week. Uh, Martellus Bennett is another guy that's starting to uh, slide down the board a little bit as of late. Uh, Owen Daniels is going up against the 32nd-ranked Bengals, and the Bengals can't cover anybody at the tight end position, nor have they. So who's your play of the week here at uh, the high tier and the and the mid or low tier here? This is 
simple for me. Uh, you mentioned Julius Thomas, and, and most people, I think, are just going to play the Sunday slate, which starts at noon, uh, noon central time, so 1 Eastern. Uh, I just don't know, especially with all the soft pricing this week, I just don't know how you don't pay for Gronk this week. He's got a really a top five tight end matchup against the Bears, and um, there's enough value everywhere. And Gronk is only fifty nine hundred. It's he's not even in sixty five hundred. I just it's crazy. So I just don't know how you don't pay for Gronk this week. To be honest, if you're obsessed with saving money, um, you have uh, Jordan Reed playing Dallas. Dallas is amazing against every single position except tight ends. They are horrible against ends. That's probably a top three matchup. Also, 4,000. So I like him. Also, Dwayne Allen. You know, I can't, I want to say he's touchdown dependent, but he keeps scoring them. So whatever. And he plays another top ten matchup as well. So at 3,900. But basically, personally, you could you could make an argument for Dwayne Allen at 3,900, but. I'm either going to play Gronk or Reed in almost every lineup, I bet. I think another guy that I might end up playing a little bit more if I'm trying to beef up uh, and find another $300, $400, $500 to beef up for a second top-tier wide receiver is Zach Ertz. He's coming in on DraftKings at only 3200 going up against Arizona, and they've been less than stellar against tight ends themselves. And it seems like... What I've noticed since I've started playing daily is any guys that are coming off a buy are going to be underpriced. So I think maybe that's the case with Zach Ertz. Maybe they're they they're missing some sort of bye week in their algorithm. I don't know, but I know I think I like Zach Ertz at thirty two hundred this week. So he he might be a guy that I'm that I'm picking up here. Uh, defense, is there anybody that you're looking to play um, outside of Miami or, or maybe even the Lions who just might crush Matt Ryan, unfortunately, this weekend? Uh, yeah, I think this is a funny thing sometimes because I, I, typically for defenses and daily, I'll read the streaming articles and try to start one of them. One of the better streaming suggestions that I have found on a lot of waiver wires in leagues I'm in and friends are in is Miami. However, Miami is priced not like a waiver wire defense. So uh, I always kind of look for the cheapest good matchup, which, which for me is the Chiefs this week. And there's not a ton. If you're going cheap at defense, and I like to generally, there's not a ton of other great matchups down there. So I'll, I'll probably just play the Chiefs a lot. Um, I did see, I, I think while one of you was talking, I just checked my phone real quick, and I saw an Evan Silva tweet saying that uh, the Titans are going with the rookie. Um uh, this week at quarterback, so that might be another nice matchup there. Our good buddy Zach Law was on the pot uh, about a month ago, and I think he coined him Zach Whataburger. So let's see what Whataburger can do, <laughs> and let's see if he's able to turn the ship around for one Justin Hunter. I've got to tell you, I've been looking at Justin Hunter in a couple short bench redraft leagues going, why the hell are you still on my team? So I just can't quit him and it's going to cost me a league i swear it guys i swear it all right i only come for you i cut bishop stanky today and i I was i that may be seem silly to some people but that was my justin hunter and it was it was not in the ppr which helped me do it but even so i just i stung after like if i i'm I'm single if i was married or something i probably would have gone to the office or something been like honey i need a hug you gotta help (laughs) me out here that was tough (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like some, 
that. So, but you can do it. I have faith in you. I did it today. It's like a cleansing experience. I just don't know if I'm ready to take this leap. I, I might need a support group to get me through it. You know, that, that first, I'm still in denial, basically. I, I just can't quit him. And he's not even that good at football yet, guys. <laughs> Let's be real here. All he no, can do- he has a physical profile. And yeah. that's all we really have to hang our, ha- our hats on at this point. It's, it's <laughs> still apparently fairly raw. Or maybe just the team sucks. One of the two. I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Hopefully we'll see something different next year. Hopefully they can prioritize the quarterback position. We've kept you for over an hour, Matt. We want to thank you for your time and coming on the Pigmatic Podcast with us. Uh, Certainly appreciate it. And for everyone out there, thank you very much for the time and giving us the opportunity to talk to you and just babble on about what we know and love, which is fantasy football. So, Matt, you want to tell everybody where they can find you in and outside of the Twitter machine and uh, what they can expect coming up in the future from you? Yeah, outside of the Twitter machine, I live in a tiny town of a thousand people. You're welcome. If you find me, I'll buy you a beer. Um, good luck. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm at <laughs> even you Chicago people. You couldn't find me. There's just no way. There's no way. I, I live in the middle of nowhere. On Twitter is easy at f f r i t t l e, uh, and I write for Sportable and Project Roto, and I pretend to write Rotoviz, and I contribute to Four for Four and uh, I always enjoy chatting fantasy, so hit me up. Right on. Asher, any closing thoughts, my friend? My buddy old pal, my Miami Dolphin fan, I don't want to talk about it anymore. No, no, no. I don't have, I don't have a lot to say. I didn't want to say too much, you know, because <laughs> you kind of set the tone early with the uh, the Dolphins talk. So um, I kept quiet. Now you, you can find me on Twitter, LABC, um, and Jeremy and I will be back again next week. But thanks for coming on, Matt. Oh, it was great. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all ours. Thanks a lot, guys. And we will talk to everybody on the Pigmatic Podcast next week. Adios. Say hi to your mom for me. Up your butt, Joe Boo. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. <laughs>